And so today, my husband, Josh, is not preaching today. Instead, we have a guest preacher speaking, speaking on a special topic. But today's guest speaker is very near and dear to my heart. Besides my two parents, this man and his wife have led me spiritually more than anybody else. I learned to love the word of God because of David Fraze. I learned that Jesus was, was not boring, that he was fun and exciting, and that following Jesus can be dangerous and exciting all at the same time. And so today we have David Fraze speaking with us. Um, <clears throat> Dave's, David's been on my radar for a few years to get him here to speak in front of you. David and I first met uh, probably my freshman year of college. And it was my sophomore year of college. We actually started to hang out a little bit. You would come to ACU to finish up some grad school. Our first meal was at Burger King. We sat down at Burger King, munching on some burgers and fries, talking about the kingdom of God. You're giving me advice about ministry. And at the end of Burger King, I said, hey, there's this girl who grew up in your youth group. Her name's Casey Rogers. What can you do to help her go on a date with me? Because I keep pursuing and she keeps running away. So a year and a half later... You and me and Casey and Lisa began meeting in the McDonald's halfway between Lubbock and Abilene to do premarital counseling. That's where we did premarital counseling, <laughs> over nuggets and fries, talking about marriage, life, and the kingdom. We're in a series right now that I've called Infused. This is a five-week Advent series as we talk about the coming of Jesus. And one thing I talked about last week was that what's, what really interests me isn't just that Jesus came, it's how he came. It's how he interacted with the world, how he engaged the world. Uh, so one thing I love about the word infused is, is that it is often followed by the word with or the word into. So Jesus came and infused the world with love and life, that Jesus came to speak light into the world. Uh, so today, Dave is here. Next week, I have a friend. I'm going to be here next week, but I have a friend, Caleb Coltenbach, who's coming in uh, to, to share with us as well. And Caleb has been a friend of mine for a few years. Caleb uh, has been a minister to church for a number of years, but also does a lot of church consulting. And that's what he does now. He travels around and he talks with church groups and with nonprofits about how to navigate faith, church, and culture wars and social issues. And he's uh, one thing I love about Caleb is he's invited in conservative circles, liberal circles. He's been on the Glenn Beck Show. He's been on CNN. He's, he's been on podcasts with church leaders like Andy Stanley and Rick Warren. And he does a lot of work specifically with the LGBT community. So as we think about Jesus coming into the world and how Jesus keeps, keeps coming into the world, Caleb's coming next week. But today, David Fraze is here. And Dave is a friend of mine. There are few people I know who've invested more in the next generation than Dave. And I wanted him to come and talk about Jesus and light and darkness and also just what it means to be a church. It wants to be multi-generational and to pour into the next generation. And there are a few people I trust more with that message than Dave. Because of your impact and Lisa's impact on her life, I reap the fruits of your ministry every single day of my life. And uh, I forgot, man, this is a picture of Dave and I on our wedding, hovering around our, our Husker cake. I don't know which one of us looks younger and that, the 21-year-old Josh or the, I don't know, 32, 33-year-old Dave. Uh, thank you so much for the impact you've made on her life and on me. Yes, I truly am a life that has been changed because of you. So, Sycamore View, give a warm welcome to David Fraze. Thank you. 
Thank you. Well, I'd love to, to talk for a while, but uh, you know when you get older, where's my over 50 people? Can we be honest? How many of y'all just cry at commercials? It, it doesn't matter. Uh, you just cry. That is an awesome introduction. So I am one of those weird guys. that This is my 31st year working in student ministry. My current context, I'm a chair of youth ministry at Lubbock Christian. I work with youth specialties. I work with Fuller Seminary in regards to a lot of the information you'll hear today. Uh, but I also am a high school football coach at her old high school. And it is so strange to walk the halls, and her best friend, we call them the Casey's, Casey K and KCR, her best friend in high school is in charge of the cheerleader. So let's talking about an old man moment. When you walk out on the field and you see these young teenagers and you see her best friend, you're just like going, how did this happen? And you walk away. Because it's a long time since the guy that you saw on that screen. I, I, you know, I'm 51, I'm getting ready to meet Jesus, I'm on the other side, I see life a little bit different, I do watch Hallmark movies, my wife is addicted to Hallmark movies, I mean, it's the same thing over and over again, you know what's going to happen, you know, he's, he's going to be a business guy, he's going to go to a small little town, and he's going to love Christmas, and they're going to look at each other, you have that look where they just go, but the problem is, she's engaged to someone else, Okay. And you know the problem is he's in New York City, because they all are, and he's so busy with his business, he can't come to this small town that we don't know where, but they have Christmas trees everywhere and fake snow, that he can't go to that town and celebrate. But this guy, the one that she gave the look to, this is like, yes, I, I love you, but I got to figure this out. So the boy shows up, and he's coming from New York, and he's like, I, I think I really do want to get married right now. And the guy's like... Oh, cut to commercial, right? And so, don't laugh. This is a proven formula because y'all are still watching these things. So he thinks that she doesn't like him anymore. So they look at each other and it's a weird kind of walk away. And he goes back to wherever he goes, cutting down Christmas trees. And she goes back to New York, planning her wedding. And all of a sudden she sees like some little snow globe or Christmas ornament or a cookie that he put inside of her bag. It's like, oh, I love her. So he has to go back. He's heartbroken. They show up on December 24th, and they're lighting a Christmas tree because every village lights a Christmas tree together with the old man who's in all the rest of the Hallmark movies that looks like Santa, who mysteriously texted her, he still loves you, and then they plug in the lights, and they look at each other, and then that's when my wife goes, here it comes, here it comes. We have to stop it because they're going to kiss. You never know how they end up. You don't know. It's just like going, okay, next movie starts right after that, and you're hooked for five hours. Now, my wife also loves football, so I'm so blessed. After almost 29 years, she loves football. She loves Hallmark. I love Hallmark. There's something about that predictability that pulls us into that movie, and they all are filmed in the same town. <laughs> they have the same old man that's Santa. Uh, the, weird. Why? Because we love messages of hope that have a good ending. We love it. Don't you love the Advent? I told the teen class this morning, whether you believe in the transformative power of Jesus Christ or not, and I love what our couple said this morning, that light drives out darkness. And some of you may be living in darkness because you've literally shut the door on the light because you know there's a predictability about what happens if you open that door into your darkness. Light will shine in and you have to change. 
And just like we see in the life of Jesus all through the gospel, in that predictability, when light comes into darkness, people shut the door that don't want light into their darkness. But if you let the light come in, it's better than a Christmas tree lighting kiss. It is a change. Now, here's what I want you to know as we jump into what I'm going to talk about today. And it's going to be a long introduction because I want to give you some history. I have been doing youth ministry for 31 years. I study kids, so if there's a kid out there that has tattoos or chains, I'm going to be going, oh man, that is so cool. Where's all the dogs this belongs to? I mean, that's me. I'm, I'm going to step into that world. I got this weird gift that I could put a foot, foot in adult world and kid world, and I kind of walk in between the two. There's some predictable patterns that my research and my involvement with the research and just my experience will lead us to. And when there's that predictability... And there's the predictability of Jesus. Here's what I want you to know. Sometimes those two things don't come together. And we're not getting the results we think we need to get from the way that we're doing church, the way that we're communicating the advent of Christ in 2019. So 31 years ago, let me explain good youth ministry. Some of you won't understand this, but since we're all in this lower part of the states, you realize that you cannot have the closing of camp without a campfire. Is anybody with me? It doesn't matter if it's 110 degrees, the humidity's 99.9%. Some youth minister back in the day, because this was good youth ministry, would light a fire and we'd get as close as possible and hold hands and sing this song around that fire. Don't want to make you cry. Some of you may have post-traumatic stress over this. It only takes a spark to... Okay, hold on. Now, here's what good youth ministers would do. There's a last verse, folks. I'll shout it from the mountaintops. And then, I know, and then the youth minister goes, shh, do you believe that? Some of you really don't believe it. We're going to shout it from the mountaintops. I'm going to give you one more chance. I'll shout it from the mountaintops. Some of you still don't understand. And we'd walk close to the fire so you could see our face. There are people who are lost. We're waiting for us to come off this mountain or whatever valley you're in around this fire. And to go back to your school and to your family. So I'm going to give you one more chance. I'll shout it from the mountaintops. Some of you still don't love the Lord pause in front of the fire. Don't get too close to burn yourself. If you start smelling skin, scoot back. Do you hear it? Do you hear the cries of the lonely hearts? I'll shout it from the mountaintops. You gotta wait till all the echo is gone. I want my world. Then you finish the song. There was a strategy. There's a way that we did youth ministry. And if you were really crazy, you took a ball of yarn. I know this is so liberal. And you would go back in your cabin groups and you'd take that ball of yarn and you would throw it and say, Josh, I know I've only known you for two days, but don't laugh. This is good stuff. I held the piece of yarn. You held the piece of yarn. And then you would say, I would say, man, I see Jesus in you. Now I want you to throw the ball of yarn to someone else. Go ahead and throw it. Throw the ball. That's so good. It's a bad throw, but it's usually the best friend over there. And you go around until everyone has this spider web of love connected. How many of y'all remember that? And then some youth minister will say, now, Josh, let go of your piece of the string. And then it would drop down. You'd go, oh, 
We're no longer as strong as we were. We have to remain strong together. And everyone would begin to cry, hold hands and sing, and friends are friends forever. In acapella, but they're the Lord, the Lord of them do. I mean, we'd have to do it that way. And we'd just cry. That was good youth ministry. Now, back in the day, if you wanted to do worship the right way before praise teams, you had to learn how to do this, right? You had to so fetch, da-da-da-da-da. I know how to do it, so I'm a true believer. You had to do things a certain way. But every once in a while, something began to happen back in the late 90s. We began to have paper songbooks. Now, this is when some debate started happening because the paper songbooks started replacing the Lord's songbooks, the purple ones, the one that Paul sang out of. So we started changing. And then before long, somebody took our shape notes and made them round notes like the Baptist. What in the world is going on? And then it got worse. We put the books away and we used overhead projectors. I know you have a screen, but back in the day, we would take a song, put them on an overhead projector. And if you're particularly on the edge of youth ministry technology, you learned how to make colored overheads. Oh, wow. We would turn the lights down. We'd project. We called them off-the-wall songs when Casey was, because we didn't have a screen big enough because screens were from the devil. What we had (laughs) was a large wall, and we'd project the song, and I would walk down, and I would sing from there. It was awesome. Today, we have projectors. We have more books on youth ministry You have people like me that have been doing it for a while, studying and coming up to practices that are culturally relevant. We don't do anything without a PowerPoint except today's sermon, which I did on purpose. Josh, just like, do you have a PowerPoint? Nope. Do you have a pro presenter? Nope. I'm just going to speak. You get, what? No, no visuals. (laughs) It's odd. It's different. We have all the books We have people who have doctorates in this information, and I want you to hear me clearly. Still, the best information of this day right now is we will still lose 50% of our kids when they walk out of our churches, whatever faith tribe, they walk away from faith. They don't go to a different denomination. They walk away from faith, and that's what keeps me up at night. That's why I do what I do, because somehow there's been a disconnect. This time last year, a year ago, 40 of us gathered at Fuller, and we got new information on the numbers. And a million young people, put that in your mind, a million young people in the United States will just walk away from faith. And you're like, well, you know what happens. They, they go to college, they live a crazy life. Then they have kids, and they come back to church. Last year, we got information on that. That's my generation. We didn't come back in the numbers that everybody thought. Is that acceptable to you? And it's not to me. In a world where we have better gadgets, we're way beyond the projectors, and now we have digital TVs, we're way beyond just little bitty books, and we have stacks of books. What if there's something else going on? What if there's something else we need to do to communicate the advent to this generation so that they'll understand that peace was actually brought into the world and peace can only be found through Jesus Christ. One of our first reactions we have is like what we do with baseball. If a kid can't hit a baseball, well, let's go get him a batting coach. If a kid doesn't know math, well, let's find him a math tutor. And I understand that, but you cannot do that with spirituality. 
You cannot say, well, that's youth, and here's the adults. And we know that from Scripture. One of my favorite verses is in Mark chapter uh, 10, verse 14. And in Mark 10, 14, Jesus is speaking, and you have all of the adults doing the adult thing, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to adult stuff. And remember, the kids came up. Now, I don't know where the kids were at this point. I guess they were at vacation Bible school, underneath the trees, whatever's going on. But the kids want to come to Jesus. And here's what Mark chapter 10 says. When Jesus saw that the kids were being prevented for coming to him, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he used children as an illustration. Now here's the amazing part. That word indignant is the same word used before a bull rushes. Jesus is angry. He is hot angry that someone would push the children away from them. I want you to think about the glory of what's going on this morning. I hear children crying in the assembly. Amen. I love that everywhere you go, there are young people and old people kind of crossing over. Do you know how weird we are to be that kind of faith community where children and youth are in the same space? Do you know how weird that is? The largest churches in America separate. And do you know what they're trying to do? Trying to figure out how to unseparate. We know how to do church to kind of stimulate the adults' growth and the kids' growth and the youth growth. But the problem is by the time they leave high school, they don't even hear their senior pastor preach because we're into separating. And I love that word indignant. We don't have too many songs about Jesus being indignant. You know, we have Jesus loves me. It's not like Jesus is really mad. You better be careful. He's going to come at you like a raging bull. We don't have that. (laughs) But when you see Jesus being angry, you find something about him that faith is not just to be outsourced. In Deuteronomy 6, Jesus calls it the greatest commandment that he takes and marries with Leviticus 19 in service. Jesus will say, the greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then your neighbors yourself. So the love of God spreads out, and if it doesn't spread, you got a problem, right? Okay, I know it's Thanksgiving time. A lot of us just spread because, you know, spreading. Okay, that's what should happen to our spiritual life. Jesus goes back to that because it's the very core and a secret of what we're going to talk about. I love the way the message, it's a paraphrase, but I love the way it says it. I want you to listen closely about how we are supposed to give this next generation our faith. Attention, Israel. God, our God, God the one and only, love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you. And then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home, walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorpost of your homes and on your city gates. You know what's so interesting about this? As Americans, most of us are like, well, I've done it. My kids and my grandkids are sitting right next to me, right here in the pew. I fulfilled Deuteronomy 6. Do you realize in this Shema, the core of the Old Testament, there's not a word for mom and dad here. This is not a message to moms and dads. It's a message to the community. That's big. Listen. 
Does it include moms and dad? Absolutely. But here's the ramifications of that. My job is not just to Braden and Shelby phrase. Yes, I will be held responsible for that, but I will also be responsible for how I interact with you and you and you and you. Because somewhere in our world today, if I'm a person of faith that's on this stage and then I go act the fool out in Memphis, I have just distracted from what it looks like to be a fully involved member of God's family. Amen? So I want you to think about that. You're like, well, dude, I have it. I went to Hobby Lobby. We are in the South, Dave. It's Memphis. Have you been to my home? I've written scripture everywhere. Right now, I have a shirt that says, Advent, here, Jesus, he's cool. I mean, I get that. The Israelites got that too. And when you go back in archaeology, you see scripture written all over the place. And the Pharisees wore phylacteries on their heads. Big fancy word for like... What would Jesus do bracelets but on your head? I mean, right there. They put the scripture here, but they forgot in their literal interpretation literally what this meant. Here, let me just kind of boil down what we're looking at in Deuteronomy 6. As an adult, I am to live such a life among all of our youth that without a doubt, I put God and his ways clearly in front of every student following me. So that when they see me, whether they're rising up or or getting down, you know, at night, or whether we're walking through the streets of Memphis, they can see God in my life. And all of a sudden, this advent that is apparent how it's changed my life because I've opened the door to darkness to be dispelled by the light, then they're going to be able to see the authentication of Jesus by watching me. Are you with me on this? It's not rocket science. It's not a program. It's a people, and I'm looking at it. We're all youth ministers. You're like, uh uh-oh. I volunteer in the youth program because I'm a parent, but as soon as they're out, I'm out. I don't like the smell of junior high kids. They don't bathe, Dave. They don't. Their cell phones are demons. I mean, I know you may be there, but I can't change scripture. And if you, raise your hand if you're a parent of a teenager. Keep raising your hand. Raise your hand if you're a sibling of a teenager. Keep raising with this group. Keep raising your hands. Raise your hand if you're an aunt or uncle of a teenager. Raise your hand if you're a grandparent of a teenager. Everybody should be raising. Keep them up if I hit you as a category. Raise up if you see a teenager at church this morning. Raise your hand. (laughs) You're youth ministers. Isn't that great? You're like, I'm done. I'm out of here. Take my tithe. I'm out. Forget it. Coming back for the candlelight. I mean, don't do that. When you look at what we're doing, and I want you to hear this. The one and second most impactful persons to a kid's spiritual life. It's proven through the research of Smith and Denton that are at Notre Dame. It started in North Carolina. It's seen in Kinneman's research. It's seen in the Gallup research that he leads. It's seen with what we do in the youth initiative at Fuller. It's seen in every book that every six months, some senior pastor, no offense, will say, we're losing our kids. Read this book. Everybody's talking about it. But here's what you need to know. Parents and the surrounding adult community are the number one indicators of a kid's spiritual success. People like me are a distant third. We're gateway drugs to this community. That's pagan research and spiritual research all together. Our number one weapon to train the next generation is by our authentic presence in their lives. This is a serious game of pitching and catching. So here's how it works. I have a name. Jake, where are you? Jake Williams. Jake. 
You're about to be famous. Come on up. So Jake and I met this morning. Jake, you have no idea that we we're going to do this. He's also a Husker fan. You hugged me. And so for this audience that's now watching online, come on up. I've just made you a Husker fan. I just want to see if that'll work. That's called teaching. You're welcome. It didn't work, did it? Jake, good to see him. Dave, nice vest. What grade are you in? I'm in 10th grade. Wow, that's a big deal. Here, you're a pitcher. No, I'm not. What are you? I'm a second base. Do you play baseball? Yes, sir. That's a scary sport. All right, hold this. I, I don't mind big guys coming at me, but little balls are terrible. Okay, stay over there. I don't know what terrible is. Stand by the Christmas tree. Okay, you should be able to catch. I'm not going to rock and fire or do any kind of weird stuff in your baseball lingo, but just play catch with me. Okay, it's really nice. Look at that. It's very good. Okay, let me just speak for a while. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. That's so good. He's good. All right, good. All right. I'm sorry I had to win to make a point. Hold this. Okay. I don't know who you are laughing back there, but that made me happy today. That was like, <laughs> they probably like, what? Okay. You ready? Are you showing off? He's like, I just want to do this uh, behind my leg. Isn't that fun? Isn't that good? Okay, let me, what? Okay, you ready? I'm going to get kind of crazy here. What? Okay, hold on. I'm just going to walk over here and talk a little while. I'm like, whoa! Again, I had to win. Sorry. Uh, one more. Go way out there. This is kind of fun. Go, the plug. The plug on the wall. So what you put your cell phone in. Sorry. I'm just, okay. Very nice. Thank you. Wow, that's scary. Here, you can have it as a parting gift. I appreciate it. Okay, thanks. Now, think about that. Give him a hand. When you look at the spiritual life of us as adults and our responsibility to pitch our faith to the next generation, um, we're not doing that good of a job according to the numbers. It's a serious game of pitching and catching, though. It's not just saying more resources. It's not just saying better facilities. We have all of that. Everybody has a youth room. Everybody has a youth minister. Everybody goes to conferences and learns how to speak and throw balls on stage. Everybody knows that we're still losing our kids. So what if we could give them something sticky to catch what we're pitching? What if there's an advantage we could give them? Now, I'm about to blow your mind with things that are not rocket science. But here's five things we found from the research. It's an incredible project called Sticky Faith, which has now become a project called Growing Young, where we're looking at faith communities. But there are five things that we found out. I'm going to spend more time on three of them, but I'm about to open up a water hose. You're going to go, ah. So you can go back and think about these things more deeply. But when we researched the 50% of the kids who kept their faith, these are the five things that came to the surface. Do you want to hear them? Okay, here we go. Number one, you're about to be underwhelmed. It's not the greatest showman. Here it is. Sticky factor number one relationships with parents, youth leaders, and church members. Like I said, the number one influencers are mom and dad. If you drop your kid off and say, do what I say, not what I do, you're going to lose your kid. If you surround yourself with people that are influencing your kid's life, and they're like, say, just do what I say and not what I do, and you're like, that's the pastor's job to figure out how to teach my kid 
It's not about this. It's about what they're watching in your life that either validates or or, or unvalidates what is happening on this stage. I say all the time, I'm a pretty good teacher, but I'm not good enough to out-teach what happens in your home and surrounding adult community. I can't. So our number one asset is how we welcome students among us, and I think you do a really good job. When you walk in and you see a kid with blue hair, I'll guarantee if you're online and you're watching, if you never visit this church, some gray-haired, blue-haired person will come up and go, hey, I have blue hair too. That's what happens here. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Now, I'm not saying fire your ministry staff, because again, we're gateway drugs. We're cultural missionaries to help you do this. But you know this is true. I want you to think back for a moment. Of all of the lessons you've heard Josh give or anybody else from this stage, I want you to think back to your college days. Maybe you went to summer camp. Think about that campfire moment. Think about that youth rally where someone looked at you and said, tonight if you were to die, would you go to heaven or hell? They laid the point out there and you're like, I'm going to hell. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Even that sermon. I want you to think about the number of those sermons you can really remember that impacted you. Go ahead and think of a number. I'll wait. Awkward pause for the studio audience. Now, think about the number of adults that have impacted your spiritual walk. See how fast that came? Some of you were here because the people sitting next to you. Some of you came out of darkness into light because somebody had a conversation with you. It may have been an employee. It may have been an employer. It may have been a coach. It may have been a teacher. Some of you are here because somebody led your life. That is such a truism. So the number one sticky thing that we got to remember is our relationships with our parents, with the surrounding adult community, with this community matters. All the time, I work with teenagers literally across the United States, and I tell youth workers all the time, if you don't have an inviting, loving environment where students feel welcome, and it's not just the good kids, but the marginal kids, the kids who aren't in the newspaper, that you lift them up, everybody is exalted. If you don't have that kind of environment, students will walk away because our world is no different relationally than the world outside these walls. Our relationships matter. Because that's how we spiritually inform. Somebody's watching you. You're like, well, I'm not on stage. You're always on stage, adult. You follow me? How many of y'all would agree with that? Say amen. Okay, number two. Here we go. I wrote this down because I think it's pretty cool. Now, a healthy view of the gospel. I know the gospel this man preaches. And it's a healthy view. But when we ask our students, again, those 50% that are on the other side that stayed faithful to God, do you understand the number one response to what does it mean to be a Christian? None of those responses, the majority of them, never mentioned the name of Jesus. They talked about being good, and they said, if we're good enough, God loves us more. If we do something wrong, God doesn't really love us. And some of you are raised with that balanced scale That's why we come to church and we use the Christian F word. How are you doing? Fine. You just kicked your dog across your house. You're fighting with your wife. You're fighting with your husband. And you're dealing with addiction. You're like, I'm doing fine. No, you're not. That comes from this fear that if we actually tell people what's going on in our dark world and we open it up to Christ, that somebody won't think as much about me. And truth be told, We give in to Paul when he says, Romans 8, what Satan does is that somehow God looks at us and turns his head and shakes his head and says, we're not worthy. You ever felt that way? That's a false gospel. 
So friends, if my understanding of the gospel and its validity to save me is based on my own goodness, ability to wear a seatbelt, vote conservative, watch my language, stay away from cats, and dress appropriately for church, I'm in trouble. At some point, students raised with this behavior-based gospel come in contact with the ugliness of the world and experience personal moral failure. And when this happens, a behavior-based gospel leaves a student feeling lost, hopeless, and alone to deal with their sin. Some of you felt this way. And that's probably why you made a home here, because you, you hear a healthy gospel. But if the gospel is just based on, well, I had a student tell me this years ago. I asked them write down, what's the definition of gospel? And this girl raised in the church said this, well, it's doing your best and God will take care of your rest. That's a lie from the pit of hell, because my best does nothing. Youth rallies all over the world, and he would never share this song. And it's used out of context, and I know there's different verses, but there was a song, Does He Still Feel the Nails? And people start singing that, and I see kids just weep, and adults, Does he still feel the nails every time I feel? And kids will just weep in their shame and their guilt. And I usually say out loud, No, he doesn't. No. It's a misreading of Hebrews. No, he doesn't. The tomb is empty. He won. Sin is no problem for our advented, risen Lord. That's not the problem. You can clap for that. That's a gospel. There's not a problem with sin. But if Satan can make you to believe that your shame is final, if your guilt and the removal of that is based on how well you can hide and correct your behavior, All of us are lost, and this is not a hopeful message. Would you agree? David, are you saying that we should let our children not wear seatbelts, vote liberal, use bad language, own cats, and wear shorts to church? Here's what I'm saying. John 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not, if you keep my commandments, I will consider to love you. I was raised, it's funny, when you just read the Bible, Last words, final thoughts of Jesus, and he doesn't spend a lot of time on the theology of everything about obedience. He, he answers his question when he says, I mean, he has no time left. He's about to die. These are his final words, last thoughts, and he looks at him. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He says it over and over again, and then he says, and here is my command. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 6. You love one another. What? Because I was raised thinking, if you love me, keep my commands. Here's five tracks. Here's one on this. Here's one on this. Here's one on this. And by the way, you have Christmas trees, and I have one on that too. Some of you are very uncomfortable that we had a boy on stage. You're like going, he's not, does he know so fish? I mean, you're uncomfortable. You have Christmas trees? Are you serious? Okay, guess what? That's not what he's talking about. If you love me, you're going to love each other. Paul puts it this way. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we peace with God, that advent, through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we have gained access by faith into grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings. This blows me away. So young person, if you know the gospel and you do have moral failure, if you have a problem with your feeling about feeling close, if something bad happens in your life, it does not negate the gospel. It actually supports what's at the core of the gospel, that God never wastes our pain and we will always experience pain in a broken world. Here's what Paul says. We glory in our suffering. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given us this this power. Okay, so here's the deal. Here it is. You see it just the right time. When we were still powerless, listen to these words, church. God died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still church attenders, Christ died for us. End of lesson. While we were still gold medalists at TLC. Nope. While we were still tithers. Nope. While we were still non-cussers, nope, while we were still Cowboys fans, which should be one, Christ died for us before we could have any behavior change. Paul goes on, and if you want some more, go read Romans 5. It's an incredible thing because he even says this, while we were enemies of God, he paid the price. What? Now that's a gospel. Any behavior change I have, because what Christ has already done. So three more things, write them down. I'm only going to talk about one of them. One is participation in service and justice work. Why is it important to do service projects? Why is this church saying, bring your red box, show up, we're going to pray for these people? Because it's not just a teenage thing to learn character. It is our thing to serve the world. And when young people are serving with old people, guess what's happening? We're validating the authenticity that the gospel has not only changed my life, but it's changed this community's life, and it's real. If you look back at those adults who have impacted your life, they probably were involved either in a student ministry activity or in a mission activity or somewhere in a church where you saw them acting. It's so important that we serve and work together. It's also important that we have real relationships with our friends. None of the Christian F were to find, but we actually talk about things in our classes, in our groups, in our gathering. It's not like, hey, I got to pray. I like to pray for an unmentionable. That's always my favorite, because every one of you are like going, what's unmentionable? What's going on? Why can't they say? Or when somebody walks forward, and I'm talking to some of us who are a little bit older, when you used to place membership at another church, you would say, I would also like to be restored, and all of us are like going, restored from what? Aren't you glad we didn't have Google back in the day, because all you'd be on your phone is going, I'm going to Google that person's name before I let them be around my kid. We don't like to talk about our ugliness, but if we can't talk about our ugliness in the church, what are you going to do? Where's the hope? When somebody comes up and goes, how are you doing today? Can you say to the people that are closest to you, Josh, I'm not doing well today. 
That's the kind of environment that our kids are watching going, I want that because they live in a world that it's only as good as their last snap, their late instant, or their latest achievement on a field. What if they had a community that was real relationships? Where people didn't care what they did, what they looked like, the baskets they shot, the sprint they made, the, we- the, 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 the instrument they play, but they just knew them because of who they were. Don't you want to be part of that community? We all do. And that's something that's sticky that allows them to catch the faith because that's not part of what goes on. You can go to church, you can give your money, you can be inspired, you can leave. You don't even have to come to church. You can download everything we're saying today online somewhere. You can download y'all's worship CD. You can just set it home. There's so many people that are like going, I, I, I want Jesus, I just don't want this community. It's our fault. Because sometimes when I deal with my, I call them, you know, my, my pagan friends that I love, their biggest beef is they don't think we're real. Check out your Facebook status. Some of you really believe, I talk about it in the teen class, some of you really do believe that your kids wake up in the morning and they just start to spout scripture. My kids have bad breath. I don't know about yours. Some of you adults are like going, my kid the other day, he, he, he had two more bites left of his sandwich, so he gave it to Josh, our senior pastor, and Josh is like, you remind me of Jesus. I'm like, really? did that happen? I just want my kids to wear their pants. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Sometimes we give such a fake front that everything is fine, that it is almost too, too good and unattainable to the rest of us. So if I'm a searcher, why would I want to be a part of something like that? Do you know what I love about this church? You don't glorify it, but you acknowledge brokenness in the world. You glorify Christ and his difference to make a difference in that brokenness. That's real. And that's what people want. The last thing I would share, and this is difficult, and I'm proud to say your youth ministry staff started class this way. We have to give our students permission to express and explore doubt. It's a weird world we're living in. All kinds of stuff going on. Their questions are a lot deeper now than the idea of creation. Well, let's give them an apologetics course, Josh, and talk about why there were dinosaurs in the Bible. Do what you want. But the number one questions they're asking is, what do I do with my LGBT friends? You know, what do I do with my friends that believe something a little bit different than me? They have to have the freedom to express and explore that doubt among us, mom and dad, among us surrounding adult community, among us, church. Why? Because if we don't let them ask questions, they're going to get on their phone and say, hello, Siri. Hello, Google. Hello, whatever's going to be implanted in our head in 15 years. I don't know that. It was just funny. I mean, whatever happens, they still need and they want our involvement in their lives. They want it. They're like, oh, my kids don't like me. They find another adult that could speak into their life. My kids don't even want me to volunteer or be around. Then go volunteer with someone else's kid. But be sure that your kid is involved in the community as some adult that can say, Josh, can you tell me why this is important? And when that begins to happen, craziness begins to happen. So those are the five. Relationships with mom and dad surrounding adult community. A healthy view of gospel. Participating together intergenerationally in service and justice. Having real relationships and they're giving the freedom to our students to express and explore doubt. Those four are such a big deal. So two questions as we end.
How's your pitching? Talking to the adults. And I would say to the older teenagers, because somebody's following you. Here's another verse in the Bible that I'd love to just cut out, but we can't. There's no songs about it. But it hits me very hard when I look at my life and the accountability I have to live a Deuteronomy 6 life in front of you, in front of my own children, in front of the students I work with. Here's the deal. Matthew 18, 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Could you imagine the chord structure on that song? We don't talk about that. But do you see how serious Jesus is in the life we live before this next generation? Do do you feel it? So how's your pitching? It is so easy, church, to throw that ball that I think I'm throwing right down the middle. And some of you baseball guys, all I got to do is just tweak my wrist just a little bit, put my fingers on the ball just a little bit different, and that sucker will dive or fly or do whatever. It's so easy. None of us are perfect. But can we commit today to a better pitch to the next generation? To those in your home, to those outside your home. Now, here's the last thing I got to say to everybody in here and those listening how's your catching? Because we're not perfect. We're not perfect. You're not going to find a perfect church audience, you're not going to find a perfect church because we have a God who's taking care of that imperfection. But somewhere, we're still being responsible for how we catch this faith. I'm convinced, I've been around you for a while, even without being in this pulpit. I know your staff. I I know I've heard them. I've spoke. We've been together for years, your worship minister. I mean, I, I know what's going on here. And if you're sitting there going, that's right, let them hammer. That's why I don't go to that church and I'm just online. I'm never gonna, that my parents make me come here and that's why I do it. And sooner or later, you still are responsible for catching. Here's what Paul tells us. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. As a parent, I gotta trust that God loves my kids more than me. I still try to pitch as best as I can, but my son and daughter have to embrace the faith. Some of you adults are sitting here and you did your very best and your kids have walked away. Never, ever, ever stop praying. Because my wife and I know that there are a lot of great families where the kids, because of that free will thing, just walk away and for a while they got to learn really bad lessons before they realize the reality of what you're trying to teach them. And we pray for you because we've been there and it hurts like no other hurt. So hear me teenager today, hear me young adult. On this Advent celebration of peace, The world even stops and realizes there was a Jesus of Nazareth born. Whether you believe he's a Messiah or not, you have to investigate this. But we no longer talk about in the world whether Jesus was a reality. We know he's a reality. What we're saying here today is he is the answer to the world's problems. And we want you to know him. So today, let me just give you an invitation. We apologize if you're bitter and think, man, my parents were awful and the adults in my life were awful. They always were on me. They were probably on you because they love Jesus so much. But if they did it wrong, I did it wrong, let me just say, okay, we're sorry. Pick up your Bible and read and find someone, anybody in this audience would love to share with you the reality of Jesus Christ. Because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. 
and give an answer for our pitching and for our catching. So let's stand together. I'd ask the, pray, the prayer team to go to where you stand. If you're a guest here, there's uh, prayer teams that are going to be all around the auditorium, I believe, up front and also in back. This is not a time to freak out because you're like, going, oh, my word, here comes the altar call. Yes, it's an altar call. But let me just kind of let everybody off the, 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 the loop here. Here's the deal. We're all responding today. Some of you may need to do that publicly. We all, where we stand right now, inside yourself, I want you to recommit to pitching better, mom and dad, to pitching better, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, anybody who's accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you said, this is what I'm about, I want you to think about, will the watching world know that that's what you're about? So let's recommit to being the most authentic followers we can be. And if you're sitting there going, I don't understand this stuff, and, and I, I have anger, I have questions, this is a place to explore that. So again, commit to yourself maybe today that you're going to reach out to someone. You may even want to text them during this song and say, we need to talk. Do whatever you need to do. But these people that are around here are spiritual shepherds of this church, and you may just want to go and agree in prayer and say, we're recommitting ourselves as a family we're recommitting myself as a dad, as a mom, but I would just like for you to agree in prayer that this is what I want to do, to be a better picture of faith. And some of you today may think, hey, on this Advent day, where we think about peace, this is the day that I'm going to give my life to the Prince of Peace. And maybe that's how you need to respond. That's what we're going to do in this space for this song. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing, and where you are, or finding someone around this room, let's all respond. Father, thank you so much for coming into our brokenness and giving us on this day as you remember peace. Father, we've made a mess out of this world. We made a mess out of it at the very beginning and while we were still powerless, while we were broken, while we were your enemies, you kept your promise and you blessed the whole world because the throne was empty and you ran down here and put our flesh around yourself and you let your flesh be ripped and torn but then you gave that flesh resurrection power and just showed us that our hopelessness can be turned into hope, that our darkness can be turned into light, that our, our tears could be turned into rejoicing. Father, thank you for the reality of that experience in my life. Thank you for the reality of that experience in many people in this auditorium's life. Father, I pray for those who've not experienced that reality, that during this season of Advent, that they will be curious like the shepherds. They will bow like those who bowed before your son, but those who also worshiped him at his open tomb. Father, I just pray that they will also experience a reality of that exodus. So Father, I thank you for what's about to happen in our personal lives as we stand and sing, or those who may be involved with prayer, or even a decision maybe this day to finally catch what's been pitched at them for so long. And through Jesus, we all say,